You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Coming up on today's episode, we break down the Jets' shootout win over Dallas and recap the Mark Chipman-Kevin Chevalier press conference. Hello, everybody. Recording live from somewhere. What's good and welcome to another episode of Skates and Plates on the Hockey Podcast Network. I'm your host, Brandon Rewicki. You can follow me on Twitter at Brandon underscore Rewicki or the podcast at Skates Plates Pod. Sorry for the late episode, but I've been dealing with the lovely combination of migraines and the flu. So fun times at the Rewicki household right now. So bear with me here if I don't sound super great. Still not feeling all that well, but we'll get through it here. It helps too after a big divisional dub which the Jets were able to pull out 4-3 to in the shootout over the Dallas Stars on a Tuesday night. And I'll tell you what, that would have been a really unfortunate way to give up two points to a division rival because while the third period didn't go all so well, I thought that might have been the best 40 minutes the Winnipeg Jets had played all season leading up to the semi-collapse in the final frame there. So a, a big win, a big result at the very least. And look, it's always funny to me after a shootout game happens, just the narrative around the game changes simply based off of the result of of what amounts to a coin flip, right? The team loses in a shootout. You kind of take a negative slant towards everything. You win in a shootout. eh, You know what? Everything kind of comes out positive. But but even just pushing that aside, you know, I, I really did like the way the Jets played for a large chunk of this game. You know what I mentioned there? The best 40 minutes of their season... I don't even think that was necessarily the worst 20 minutes of their season, but a borderline disastrous third period, you know, it almost overshadowed what was a really complete effort for large chunks of this game for the Winnipeg Jets. I mean, I I just thought that the Dallas Stars through two periods really had no answer for what Winnipeg was throwing at them. I think it might have been Winnipeg's best forechecking game of the entire season. They were really getting on the Dallas Stars defense and making it difficult for them to break out of their own zone. I I thought even the Stars forwards didn't have, you know, a ton of room and a ton of space to try to make plays. And it just seemed like they were always outnumbered. Like the Jets just did a great job of outnumbering their opposition in basically all three phases of the ice through the first couple of periods of play. So I thought even if the Jets lost that game in a shootout, I still think there would have been a decent amount of positives to take away from the game. But at the very least, they pick up the two points, which is huge. A little bit more cushion between them and all of a sudden the, the slumping Dallas Stars in the division there. 
And interesting because the performance comes off really the first major shift we've seen as far as the forward lines when it comes to who Paul Maurice throws out there for his combinations in a game this season. Because finally, I mean, the team's basically healthy up front, right? It feels like forever since the Jets have had Shifley and Wheeler in the lineup together at the same time, a fully healthy forward core ready to go. So it was intriguing that with everybody back in the picture that Paul Maurice went with something a little different. We haven't seen this group before. I mean, I think everyone was in agreement that Connor, Dubois, and Sveshnikov had to stay put. And for some people, I think pleasantly surprised that that stayed and they once again had a very, very good game. The trio just fits really well together. We'll see how long this goes for, but the Winnipeg Jets might have found a complete diamond in the rough with Evgeny Svechnikov, and if he fits all season long like he has so far, what an absolute major home run find that's been. But I thought that three, those three played really well together once again. We saw the continuation with the trio of Andrew Kopp, Paul Stasny, and Nikolai Ehlers, but the big move, Mark Scheifele back down the middle, Blake Wheeler on one side and Adam Lowry on the other. That That is the one that really took a lot of people for a bit of a wild loop there because the I think the prevailing wisdom was going to be that, hey, it's either Kyle Connor or Nikola Ehlers that's going to be beside Mark Shifley if Blake Wheeler's on the other side of them. And it was interesting to me because, you know, I mentioned might have been the best first 40 minutes, the best two-period stretch that the Winnipeg Jets have played all season, in my opinion. But I also didn't think the the Shifley-Lowry-Wheeler line stood out in a major positive way either, right? I, I do have some concerns about the fit between those three forwards on the same line. I mean, and this isn't really earth-shattering news or, or a revelation or anything like that, but it was pretty clear that Adam Lowry doesn't possess either the speed or the skill of a guy like a Connor or an Ehlers, right? Like a very untraditional top six player is what you're asking out of Adam Lowry playing beside Mark Shifley and Blake Wheeler. And, and there were a couple times too throughout the game. I mean, there was a collision between Lowry and Wheeler in the offensive zone. It, it just didn't look like everything clicked together the same way that everything's gone completely smooth with Dubois, Svechnikov, and Connor, at least in the offensive zone, right? I, I just, I wonder if, I wonder if at this point in his career, if you don't need a major element of speed on the opposite wing of Blake Wheeler. And and it might be true for whoever the centerman is. But it's clear that Blake Wheeler doesn't have the same game-breaking speed that he once used to. And I just, I wonder if you're going to get maximum effectiveness out of Blake Wheeler at this stage in his career if you're not going to have somebody on his opposite side who can move and fly up and down the ice and maybe create you know, whether it's an offensive zone entry or a little bit of chaos inside the offensive zone. I I, I really, I, I wonder if that is the key to unlocking the best out of Blake Wheeler this season. And, and I think that might have explained, I don't even want to necessarily say struggles with that line, because I don't think they were bad. But I, I just wonder if Adam Lowry's lack of foot speed is going to mitigate the offensive effectiveness of that line. I mean, look, there's no doubt they're more defensively sound with Adam Lowry out there on the ice, even though they were, you know, out there for the first goal of the game for the Dallas Stars, but they're more effective defensively than they would have been with Cal Connor. No doubt about that. But is it going to come at the loss of some of the offensive creativity and brilliance that you're accustomed to seeing 
out of Shifley and Wheeler. So we'll, we'll see. I mean, you have to give it a few more games before you can kind of make an ultimate judgment on this. But I, I still believe in the line combos I threw out in my last episode, where you keep Dubois, Connor, and Sveshnikov together. Nikolai Ehlers gets the jump up beside Shifley and Wheeler. And then you have a third line of Larry, Kopp, and Stasny. If you go that route, I still think you're going more towards a balanced top nine, right? Like, I don't think it's the archaic old school top six, third line, shutdown line, fourth line, you know, just kind of go out there and not get scored on. I, I don't think you're necessarily going that route. I think a third line of Larry Kopp, Stasny can be defensively responsible, but also pitch in a fair amount offensively because Andrew Kopp has had just one hell of a start to the season. And I think that's a really effective line. So we'll, we'll see how things play out over the next few games here. I will say this, though. And, and again, Paul Maurice has a lot of critics and detractors in this city. And there are some things he does that drive me nuts still. This 11 forwards, 7 defensemen thing, I, I still don't get it. But I think it's important that we do give credit when credit is due. And I appreciate that Paul Maurice is at least trying something different here, right? Trying to go more towards three balanced scorylines as opposed to the old school top six, bottom six. So we'll see how this plays out. I do ultimately think that sometime in the near future, we will see Nikolai Ehlers beside Mark Scheifele and Blake Wheeler. And I, for one, would be very, very intrigued to see how the duo of Scheifele and Ehlers would play out there. I think that's something that once it gets put together, maybe the same way we're seeing with Dubois and Connor, you put them together and you don't split them up for the rest of the season. I've got a few other notes that I want to get to from the game, including, you know, how Eric Comrie performed in his second start this season. We'll get to that in just a second. But a quick shout out now to our friends over at DraftKings. You know, I'm on a diet coming up here, so I'm hungry all the time. But if you're hungry for a big win when it comes to NFL action this week, DraftKings Sportsbook, that's a terrible segue. Whatever. DraftKings Sportsbook. The official sports betting partner of the NFL has you covered because new customers can bet just $5 on any NFL team to win their game. And if they do, you win $200 in free bets. If Sportsbook is not available in your state or province just yet, remember, huge cash prizes up for grabs all season long with DraftKings Daily Fantasy Sports Contests. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now, use promo code THPN, bet just $5 on any NFL team to win their game, and win $200 in free bets. If they win, you win with promo code THPN this week at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. Must be 21 or older, New Jersey, Indiana, or Pennsylvania only, new customers only, minimum $5 deposit and $1 wager required, one per customer. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com sportsbook for details. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Now, Eric Comrie, two wins and two starts to kick off the season and kicking off a goalie controvert. I'm, I'm kidding. Obviously kidding. But a great start to the season for Eric Comrie. All the question marks in training camp and preseason. And so far, so good through two games, getting the surprise start with Connor Hellebuck taking care of the new baby, the new addition. Congratulations to the Hellebuck family. As somebody with an 11-month-old myself, 
enjoy the bags under your eyes because you're never going to sleep again. <laughs> but but yeah, I mean, congrats. Great. Everything, you know, baby healthy, mama healthy, everything good for the Hellebuck family. But Comrie getting the surprise second start against the Dallas Stars. And again, he looks pretty sharp out there. And again, when it comes to the Winnipeg Jets, you know, we talked about Hellebuck maybe being better than his numbers would have suggested earlier in the season. You know, it looks like from the stat sheet, a pretty pedestrian night from Eric Comrie. 24 saves on 27 shots and an 89 save percentage. You know, going into the season, I think that's what a lot of people would have expected and said, you know what, again, not good enough. But I thought Eric Comrie was really good in this game once again. And I don't know if you really fault him on any of the goals that went past him, right? Because Jamie Benz, first of the night in the first period, left all alone and Comrie did all he could before Ben outweighed him with a nice move. And then in the third period, the penalty kill rears its ugly head once again. And Jason Robertson scores to get the Dallas Stars within one. You could also make the case that, you know, Comrie had the puck covered in that play. But again, really left out to dry from his defense core in that one. And then the game tying goal, Tyler Sagan, a redirect on a John Klingberg point shot. No chance on that one. Speaking of no chance, boy, oh boy, is Jansen Harkins not going to enjoy the film session whenever that comes up next for the Winnipeg. He is going to get absolutely shredded for, we'll call it an attempt at defense. I, I mean, it was swimming lessons. It was desperation. It, it's... It's not how you probably want to play John Klingberg. Uh, so obviously Eric Comrie not done any favors on the three goals against. I will say this quickly before we get back to Eric Comrie's play. A lot of people are going to say Jansen Harkins should have played it better and fair. But I also feel like in situations like that, I, I know you're always, you know, as Jets fans, you want to maybe place more blame on your own team in goals against situations. But maybe we should give some credit to John Klingberg on that play because I don't know how many... Def There's a handful of defensemen on the planet that can make the moves that he made straddling the blue line. Incredible patience, incredible skill to eventually walk Jansen Harkins and get the shot through there. I I'll give a little more credit to John Klingberg on that play and celebrate his brilliance as opposed to the attempt at defense from Jansen Harkins on that one. But yeah, film session is not going to be overly kind to him when, uh, whenever Paul Maurice and the Jets show that one in front of the entire team. But goals aside, I think Eric Comrie looked pretty similar to the way he did in Los Angeles. You know, not as busy as he was in that one, but when called upon, he was pretty steady once again. And then a couple of big saves in the shootout as well on top of it. So, you know, the numbers aren't exactly sparkling or picture perfect from Eric Comrie, but I think Jets fans have to be pretty happy with a 9.15 save percentage. I, I know it's just two games, but Eric Comrie has been really, really good to start the season. And it's nice to know that if he continues this all year long, that, you know, if Carter Hellebuck needs a night off, if he needs a little bit of rest, you know, that maybe the Jets can rely on Eric Comrie after all to give them competent backup goaltending like they have had in the past with Laurent Brassois. The final piece of info I want to get to from the game last night, Josh Morrissey is really standing out as of late to me and, and doing so in a positive manner. And I tweeted this out because he got the second goal of the night for the Jets again on the power play. He's kind of proving to be a bit of a weapon on the man advantage. 
And I don't know at this point. I, I know everything's up in the air, people coming back in. The power play units are, are kind of constantly in flux here. But I, I think Neil Pionk is, I, you know, if you want to call him a quarterback or not, I think Neil Pionk is one defenseman on a four forward, one D-man unit. And I think you put Nate Schmidt and Josh Morrissey out there on, you know, more of the old school three forward, two defenseman unit. Because they, I mean, Nate Schmidt is doing a great job of finding Josh Morrissey when it comes to the power play. You know, he's he's great as far too as, as distributing the puck doing so quickly and accurately with his passes. But we've seen Josh Morrissey unload a couple of times this season. I I never would have guessed it going into the year, but his shot is becoming a legitimate offensive weapon. And, and all in all, his play has, has been just greatly improved from where it was these past couple of seasons. You know, everybody mentioned that the need for a couple of additions inside the top four is what this team needed. It, it may have been that Josh Morrissey, more than anybody, needed the additional help there, right? Because he was just tasked with trying to do too much by the coaching staff, trying to elevate essentially third-pair defensemen into top-pair quality. He's not that kind of guy. But if you put somebody beside him that can give you competent top-four play, you're going to get a damn good player in Josh Morrissey. And it's great to see the elevation in his game this season. I, I I still don't know if the Olympics and a Team Canada not is in the cards for him this upcoming season, as Craig Budden alluded to during the Jets' intermission segment. But I'll tell you what, give me the Josh Morrissey that we saw with Jacob Truba, and we get that all season as opposed to Josh Morrissey making Team Canada's Olympic team this upcoming Winter Games. So all in all, a, a pretty damn good start to the season for Josh Morrissey. Three goals. Now up to five points in his first nine games this year. Him and Nate Schmidt have been very, very solid. Maybe even the Winnipeg Jets' best pairing so far this year. So that's it for the game. The homestand continues Friday night against Chicago before a back-to-back -back against the Islanders on Saturday and then another divisional matchup on tap this upcoming Tuesday, November the 9th against the St. Louis Blues. Now, before we wrap up today's episode... It was the big story yesterday. We'll go from on ice to off it. We obviously have to get into the press conference. Mark Chibnit and Kevin Chevalier speaking for the first time publicly since the meeting with Gary Bettman where the commissioner determined ultimately that the Jets GM would not lose his job like everyone else did that was in the meeting that led to Chicago's sexual assault cover-up regarding former player Chris Beach. Now, I have to say that I was shocked over Gary Bettman's initial ruling when it came down Friday, just because I had assumed that everyone that was in the meeting at that time would be held equally culpable, despite holding differing positions of power, like we saw with Joel Quinville resigning from his uh, position as head coach of the Panthers just the day before Kevin Chevalier's meeting with Gary Bettman. But I wanted to wait to hear from Chevy himself, as well as Mark Chibman, just to get as much information as possible in regards to Kevin Chevalier's involvement in the cover-up in Chicago. Now, as far as the reasoning behind the decision to allow Kevin Chevalier to continue in his job as GM of the Winnipeg Jets, Gary Bedman alluded to it in his comments a few days ago, and then Mark Chibman shed some further light on why the NHL came to the decision that they did. And here's a direct quote from Chibman 
during the press conference on Tuesday. Kevin Chevaldeoff was abruptly pulled into a single meeting where there was a general inquiry about inappropriate texts and verbal comments. He was told by the leadership of that organization that they would investigate it and look after it. He didn't have recurring contact with coaches or players in his role. He didn't know about the harm that had been done to Kyle. He could not have known, Mark Chipman said. So again, just to reiterate here, Sheveldayoff did not have all the information necessary, including the severity of what happened to Kyle Beach, and thought that once Aldrich was gone from the organization, that the matter was properly taken care of by people in the position of power in the Chicago organization. If that is true, I can understand the line of thinking from Gary Bebbin and the NHL in coming to their decision. I'm not necessarily saying that I totally agree with it because there's a lot of gray area and still some things that are unknown and, and maybe need to be answered. But I can see where they were coming from in that Chevaldeoff was not actively cooperating in the cover-up like the other members in the meeting, so therefore he doesn't get the same punishment as the other members in that meeting. Now, for me, that doesn't mean Chevaldeoff is completely off the hook and blameless in all of this. I, I still believe that as the assistant GM of that organization, there could and should have been more done to ensure that a player with the team that you were a part of was being supported and protected and taken care of in this instance. Because I always go back to this. If that was somebody you knew in that situation, would you just assume that the higher-ups in your workplace would take care of things? Or would you continue to follow up and do everything in your power to ensure that that person was properly looked out for? And that's the kind of mindset that needs to be adopted across all walks of life when it comes to protecting sexual assault victims. So while not involved in the sinister cover-up directly, there was still some fault to be laid at the feet of Kevin Chevaldeoff for what happened over there in Chicago. But I will say this. I did appreciate hearing Kevin Chevaldeoff say that he's taking steps already to become more proactive. Speaking with Sheldon Kennedy about ways to enhance and improve a safe work environment at the NHL level, completing the respect group's education programming. At least there's been an attempt at taking steps forward from Kevin Chevaldeoff's part, something that has been completely lacking in other NHL departments during this whole heartbreaking story. And finally, we heard from Mark Chipman. And Mark Chipman said a lot of the right things, and in my opinion came off pretty genuine and sincere in doing so. So, I mean, there's going to be people that don't take Mark Chipman at his word. I, I, I thought he was, again, genuine and sincere and clearly emotional in what he said as well. And I, I thought Mark Chipman really made what could be the most impactful statement in all of this. And that was to using his power to committing to make systemic changes across the NHL to ensure that something like this never happens again. Now, it's completely up to Chipman and Chevaldeoff here to follow through with their words and provide meaningful actions. Because if all the talk doesn't lead to substantial changes, then their words are meaningless. 
and and we're not progressing forward and everything that they said during that press conference it, it just rings hollow so i think we need to continue to demand and hold the jets and the nhl accountable when it comes to following through on what was said because there needs to be change obviously there just simply there can never be another tragedy like what we've learned happened to Kyle Beach. It's up to Mark Chipman and Kevin Chevaldeoff now to ensure that their words don't ring hollow and that they come through and they make the systemic changes and they're part of a solution that's necessary to help make the hockey world a safer place for everybody moving forward. Now, before I go, I'd just like to mention that if you or anyone you know is a sexual assault survivor, a victim of sexual assault, and you don't know what to do or where to turn to, the very, very kind people at Clinic Manitoba are there to assist you in any way necessary. You can visit their website. It's clinic with a K, but clinic.mb.ca. Or you can call the 24-7 Sexual Assault Crisis Line at 204 786 8631.